You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Get ready to geek out. The Wired Science Podcast explores all the latest and greatest in science. Everything from strange diseases and biological breakthroughs to interesting tech and mysteries in outer space. Listen to Wired Science today wherever you get your podcasts. That's Wired Science wherever you get your podcasts. Edgeworks Nebula. Over the past few years, the acceptance of microdosing psychedelic mushrooms as a medical treatment has grown slowly but steadily. If you have caught any of the documentaries and TV series like Netflix's Fantastic Fungi and Hulu's Nine Perfect Strangers, you'll notice new studies and conversations involving psilocybin. Our producer has struggled with anxiety and depression on and off for years. Many of us have. Companies like Schedule 35 are leading the way in microdosing psilocybin. Following the accurate dosing and easy-to-understand products provided by Schedule 35 has alleviated depression and anxiety for many people, including our producer. Microdosing, she found that her mood shifted and life became a little less daunting. Things are stressful, and mental health should never be sacrificed due to stress. Look into Schedule 35 and check with your local and state regulations to determine if you're able to purchase. If you're interested, check out www.schedule35.co. Be sure to use code STS to get 15% off your order. That's code STS to get 15% off your order today. Hey folks, this is Lacey Hannon. Welcome to Settle the Stars. We're glad to have you back. Right now, we're going through some of the biggest sci-fi stories to hit your screens. Our aim is to explore space science through the lens of public presentation. We all know there's a lot of bad fake science out there. CSI, anyone? But where do science, its history, and entertainment intersect? But over here at Edgeworks Entertainment, we are fascinated by what gets people excited and where the passion for space starts for you, our kind of people. And a good story can be what sets off a zillion questions, some of which have answers. So I invite you to take the journey with me. Nowadays, the biggest goal in space exploration appears to be getting astronauts to Mars. NASA's Artemis project, which plans to land the first woman and first person of color on the moon by 2024, is the first step in a grander vision to eventually send manned missions to Mars. But in the 1960s, it was all about getting to that big nightlight in the sky, the moon. National excitement over space travel reached a fever pitch when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin walked on the moon in 1969 as a part of Apollo 11. Special shout out to astronaut Michael Collins, who stayed back to watch the car. After that historic landing, trips to the moon swiftly became routine in the eyes of the public. Apparently, even in the 1960s, we were quick to grow bored of things once the impossible became possible. By the time of the eighth Apollo mission, Apollo 13, don't worry about it, NASA was never very good at math, television networks were favoring baseball games over coverage of the next trip to the moon. Ironically, this particular trip turned out to be anything but routine, and the mission, which became known as the successful failure, would prove one of the most thrilling and most uplifting stories to come out of our efforts to explore space. 
In April of 1970, astronauts Jim Lovell, Jack Swigert, and Fred Hayes were en route to the moon when the unthinkable happened. 200,000 miles from Earth, in the unforgiving vacuum of space, one of the oxygen tanks exploded, leaving the astronauts direly low on power, heat, water, and breathable air. Their hopes of landing on the moon were quickly replaced by the goal of simply making it safely back to Earth. Hollywood could not have jumped up a more dramatic story, though it would be some time before the remarkable events of the Apollo 13 mission would make their way to the big screen. Jim Lovell, who had previously served on Apollo 8 and who served as commander on Apollo 13, decided to write an account of the fateful mission when he retired in 1991. His book, Lost Moon, The Perilous Voyage of Apollo 13, found its way to director Ron Howard, and movie magic was soon in the making. While Howard would go on to helm several more biopics and docudramas, including A Beautiful Mind and Cinderella Man, he may not have been the most obvious choice of director in the early 90s, with a career consisting of sci-fi fairy tale Cocoon, a dark fantasy Willow, and a mermaid comedy Splash. But Howard immersed himself in the challenge of putting history on screen and strove to deliver an accurate and gripping account of what had occurred on the unluckiest of space missions. He said he wanted the movie to be as exciting as it could be without compromising the authenticity. Howard drew from Lovell's book and from conversations with the commanding astronaut himself to fully understand what transpired over the course of the six-day mission and to envision how it could be best dramatized on film. In many respects, the events surrounding the Apollo 13 mission proved to be a case of life is stranger than fiction. The story of the astronaut's survival was so incredible that one member of the film's test audience wrote on the back of his card, terrible, exclamation mark. More Hollywood BS, two exclamation marks. They would never survive, three exclamation marks. Not realizing the film he had just watched was in fact based on a true event. The scene where Lovell's wife Marilyn loses her wedding ring down the shower drain shortly before the launch was also called out by critics for being a bit of Hollywood hokum manufactured to play on the audience's emotions. But that too was something that really happened. While NASA has never been the superstitious type and clearly didn't shy away from using the number 13 for this mission, Howard noted that there were several more bizarre things that happened around the time of launch that they didn't put in the film including an incident where three cars randomly burst into flame near the launch pad just days before the launch date. Our suspension of disbelief only goes so far when it comes to the implausibilities of real historical events, but there was plenty of material to pull from to make a compelling picture and Howard and his crew paid great attention to detail in getting it all on film. From the reconstruction of the Apollo Mission Control Center with its 60s era decor and computer consoles to the photographs Howard borrowed from Lovell's own study to decorate the walls of his character's home. The dramatic events unfolding in space and in the Houston Control Center are interspersed with real news broadcasts from the time, and many of the characters' lines of dialogue were taken directly from the mission transcripts. Ed Harris, who played flight director Gene Krantz, likened preparing for each day's shoot to cramming for a final exam with all the research the cast had to assimilate into their performances. For added authenticity, the actors playing the mission control technicians were fed lines on the spot by the film's technical advisors, among them Gerald Griffin, the lead flight director of Apollos 12, 15, and 17. There's no question, the goal here was to capture the feel of the mission and all the drama surrounding it as closely as possible. Of course, 
The drama would only feel as real as the accompanying visuals, and the rise of CGI in the 90s allowed for some truly stunning imagery that made that possible. After watching the film for the first time, Buzz Aldrin asked Howard if they had used footage from an actual launch he had somehow never seen before. When Howard told him they had created it all for the film, Aldrin was amazed and asked if NASA could use the footage. To achieve such realism, the production team studied archival launch footage. They observed how the liquid oxygen and hydrogen inside the rocket would interact with the Florida humidity to produce a layer of ice over the hull that would shatter and fall upon takeoff, and they incorporated these details in their own digitally created launch sequence. The visual effects team, Digital Domain, also put together some impressive shots of the module in space. And for the scene where the astronauts pass by the moon, the filmmakers used digitally enhanced photographs taken on one of the later Apollo missions to depict a true-to-life lunar landscape outside the command module window. The most interesting effect the film achieves, however, is the genuine weightlessness exhibited in a number of scenes by Tom Hanks, Kevin Bacon, and Bill Paxton, who play astronauts Jim Lovell, Jack Swigert, and Fred Hayes, respectfully. Howard wasn't sure at first how he was going to realistically portray the astronauts' weightlessness. While chatting with Steven Spielberg about the project, as you do when you're in Hollywood, Howard mentioned he was still working on that part and was considering using wires. Spielberg mentioned he'd seen footage of NASA training their astronauts for zero gravity inside a Boeing KC-135 stratotanker. The plane, which NASA called the Vomit Comet for obvious reasons, could achieve reduced gravity for about 25 seconds at a time when flown in a parabola. Spielberg's remark had not been a serious suggestion, and he didn't realize until much later that Howard was actually going to try it out. Though NASA rejected Howard's request at first, Lovell intervened on his behalf and won the crew permission to film inside the Vomit Comet. There's actually some pretty incredible footage to be found online of Kevin Bacon and Bill Paxton throwing a football back and forth in the weightless environment of the plane while they train for the film. Highly recommend it if you need a little something to brighten your day. So, I co-own a mobile gaming company and I have a lot on my plate. I'm involved in all sides of the company. Anything I can do to make my job a little easier, I will absolutely give it a whirl. Squarespace is a great tool for others out there with a lot on their plates. Squarespace isn't just a website builder, which, yes, will help you build a website in minutes, but it also tracks analytics to see who's checking out your site or buying your product. They've got easy ways to create email campaigns to entice people to engage and check out all your hard work. When it comes to selling merch, Squarespace can streamline that too with inventory management a simple checkout process, and secure payments. Squarespace makes space on my plate, which is very much needed. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash settle the stars, and you will save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. If you haven't heard of HelloFresh at this point, we need to remedy that right now. HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. It's the perfect way to make cooking affordable and dare I say, fun. The recipes are creative and for those of you out there with particular eaters in your house, they offer over 50 different recipes every week. You can't lose. And here's where it gets even better. 
They offer a cute little HelloFresh market where I can easily toss French macaroons into my cart in the most casual way. In my house, we love the lemony spaghetti with Brussels sprouts and the Louisiana style tilapia is a game changer. Both recipes that I wouldn't think I could just whip up, but HelloFresh proved me wrong. And for all of our Settle the Stars listeners, just go to hellofresh.com STS16 and use code STS16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's hellofresh.com STS16. Consider dinner served with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. With so much effort put into the effects, both practical and digital, the extensive research that went toward getting every last detail right, it's no wonder Apollo 13 is lauded for its historical and scientific accuracy. Being a dramatization, there are of course moments of artistic license where the film deviates from how things really went down. The personalities of the people involved shift at times to play up the drama, and certain events get condensed or left out altogether to keep the story moving. In the film, the astronaut who gets pulled from the mission for fear he may have contracted German measles, Ken Mattingly, played by Gary Sinise, is shown to work tirelessly by himself inside one of NASA's simulators to solve the problem of getting more power running inside the command module. According to Mattingly, it was other astronauts who went into the simulators and they were working through pre-planned procedures to ensure they would work before delivering the instructions to the Apollo crew. Of course, it's easier for the audience and more dramatic for the film to show one recognizable character laboring on behalf of his colleagues stranded in space. On occasion, certain details were switched around to suit a desired tone the film was going for. There's a scene where the astronauts remove their biomed sensors in a comedic act of defiance against the flight surgeon. The moment provides a good bit of levity amid all of the tension. But while the crew did remove their vital sensors during the mission, it was for the sake of conserving power rather than rebellion. And Lovell got the go-ahead from Houston before the astronauts took them off. Then, of course, there's the famous line everybody knows even if they haven't seen the film. Tom Hanks's immortal, Houston, we have a problem. In reality, it was Jack Swigert, Kevin Bacon's character, who first said a version of this quote. But his transmission was garbled, and when Mission Control asked for clarification, Lovell replied, Houston, we've had a problem. We've had a main B bus undervolt. Referring to the sudden drop in power the crew experienced when the oxygen tank blew, Hanks suggested they put the line in present tense to better sell the urgency of the situation. And with just five words and a minor tense change, the face of pop culture was forever changed. Incidentally, the second most famous line in the film, Ed Harris's, failure is not an option, was never said by the mission's flight director. But Gene Kranz liked the quote so much, he decided to use it as the title of his memoir. Jim Lovell says that the one aspect of the film that truly was not historically accurate is the argument that takes place between Hayes and Swigert aboard the lunar module. In the film, Hayes implies Swigert was responsible for the explosion that deprives them of the chance to walk on the moon and that puts all of their lives in jeopardy, and Swigert takes a defensive stance. Of course, when the accident occurred, Swigert had simply flipped the switch to stir the tanks according to procedure. The cause of the explosion had nothing to do with the astronauts themselves, but rather an unfortunate handling error that happened well before the launch date. 
Howard defends this manufactured moment of tension between Hayes and Swigert, noting that while it is a dramatization, he based the scene on evidence they had found of arguments that took place among the astronauts during their mission. Ultimately, the idea of the scene was to demonstrate that astronauts, heroic as they may be, are not always as collected as they sound in their broadcasts, and that these were real men in an undeniably stressful situation. Paxton, who plays Hayes, noted that had they played the astronauts completely stoically, they would have denied the audience the chance to bond with the characters through their human fallibility. When condensing six days worth of flight time and a whole lot of real-life drama into a blockbuster for the masses, it's understandable some embellishments will be made to make sure the film hits all the right beats for the audience. The film's biggest scientific inaccuracy was similarly for the benefit of audiences who might have otherwise had a difficult time understanding what was going on. The Apollo 13 mission took a little over three days to reach the moon, but during that time the astronauts' craft would not have been on a straight course for the moon as portrayed in the film since the moon is a moving target. In reality, they would have headed toward a point in space three days ahead of the moon's orbit so as to intercept it at just the right point in time. Of course, from a dramatic standpoint, it made sense for the filmmakers to have the destination in sight. But when it came to portraying the astronauts' survival aboard their damaged spacecraft, which is, after all, what the film is primarily about, the filmmakers did a phenomenal job of including and accurately representing the most important details. While the film still certainly conveys the danger of the situation, the verbal responses of both the astronauts and the team in Houston were just as controlled in real life as the film demonstrates. Though faced with the impossible, a true nightmare of a situation, everyone involved immediately set about identifying the problems and working towards solutions. What had happened was that damaged wiring inside one of the spacecraft's two oxygen tanks set off a spark when Swigert was asked by Mission Control to turn the fans on, stirring the liquid oxygen for a more accurate reading of the levels. Stirring the tanks was a standard procedure, and this was the third time it had been done on the mission. On this particular occasion, flight controller Cy Liebergott, played by Ron Howard's brother, Clint, in the film, saw the data on his computer screen telling him that all the oxygen had been lost from tank number two, and that oxygen was rapidly depleting in tank number one. Furthermore, power was gone from two of the three fuel cells. In addition to supplying the astronauts their breathing air, the oxygen tanks fed into the fuel cells where the liquid oxygen combined with hydrogen to produce both the ship's electricity and the astronauts' drinking water. In one blow, a significant amount of the crew's oxygen, power, and water had been taken out, making this accident a truly devastating one. In the film, just as in reality, Lovell visibly identifies gas spewing from the hole into space and determines it must be the oxygen leaking out from tank one. Following the accident, the astronauts moved into the more sustainable environment of the lunar module, which had been designed to support two people, not three, and only for a duration of two days as opposed to the four days it would eventually take them to return to Earth. During that time, the temperatures in the lunar module dropped to 35 degrees. Hayes came down with a fever, and the astronauts had to combat one problem after another, from rationing their water to building a makeshift lithium hydroxide canister with help from mission control, to remove the excess carbon dioxide produced by the extra passenger in the lunar module. Lovell notes the device they build in the film looks very close to the one they actually rigged. However, 
The contraption wasn't something that was worked up on the spot by NASA personnel. It had actually first been created during a simulation that was conducted in preparation for Apollo 8. Way to think ahead, NASA. With power a sparse commodity and the ship's engines controlled by electricity, the decision was made to slingshot the crew around from the far side of the moon so as to gain momentum from the moon's gravity as they pull into a trajectory back toward the Earth. The maneuver sounds like the stuff of science fiction, but it works by borrowing just a small amount of the moon's momentum to increase the velocity of the craft performing the flyby. In exchange, the orbit of the moon is momentarily and imperceptibly slowed. Gravitational forces are just kind of crazy like that. With the astronauts back inside the command module for re-entry, nobody knew whether the spacecraft's heat shield had been damaged in the explosion. If it had been, after all they had been through, the crew would have perished upon re-entering the Earth's atmosphere. Fortunately, the heat shield was intact, and after four harrowing days in space, Lovell, Swigert, and Hayes were back on solid ground again. None of the three would ever return to space, and NASA would never again use the number 13 for one of their missions. They're still not superstitious, though, they swear. Perhaps the best thing to come out of the Apollo 13 mission, apart from the safe return of the astronauts, was the new safety procedures that were put into place as a result. Some of these changes included adding an extra oxygen tank that could be used just for supplying air to the crew, adding a 400 amp hour battery to the lunar module and adding spare water to the command module. One of the things Howard intended to show with Apollo 13, particularly by opening the film with the tragedy of the fire that claimed the lives of the Apollo 1 crew, was the very real danger that comes with space exploration. Space is as dangerous a frontier as any mankind has faced. Every astronaut who goes up knows the risks involved, but they go anyway to further the aims of space exploration and to know firsthand what it's like to travel beyond the Earth. Lessons learned from the tragedy of Apollo 1 and from other missions between ultimately helped ensure the safe return of the Apollo 13 crew. In turn, the perils faced by Lovell, Swigert, and Hayes have helped educate and motivate the next generation of space explorers, and the film Apollo 13, however dramatized, carries forward the mission's legacy in inspiring and encouraging fans of space everywhere. We will see you next time on Settle the Stars, as we walk through the filmmaking and science of Ad Astra, starring Brad Pitt, directed by James Gray. In the meantime, be sure to leave a review and tell your friends about Settle the Stars. Every review really helps for an indie show like ours, and be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. Settle the Stars is available on pretty much every podcasting platform, and we're also mirroring our episodes on YouTube at youtube.com slash edgeworksentertainment. And be sure to ring that bell so you know when there's a new episode. We also have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash edgeworksentertainment. The support of listeners like you is what makes this show possible, and I am so grateful to the people who have already joined. In the meantime, happy terraforming. Settle the Stars is a proud member of the Edgeworks Nebula, a collection of intriguing and informative podcasts from Edgeworks Entertainment. Edgeworks Nebula. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. 
Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.